look for the clicker. Um, so today I'm here to talk to you about music. If you listen to music, raise your hand. Or if you don't listen to music, raise your hand. Oh, thank you, perfect. All right, so everyone listens to music, which means you're all going to participate in Um, I'm originally from Taiwan, and I started my career at McKinsey um, as a consultant. Um, this was back in 2003, and you know, back in the days, there was no fancy machine learning algorithms or things like that. Or, or at least at that time, McKinsey wasn't really getting into it. So um, I was working with a, a lot of the clients in the banking sector, and what we did was, you know, very simple logistic regression. Right, we're trying to figure out, you know, what customers we should give out loans to, and making sure that they don't default. Right. So I did that for almost three years, and then I moved to um, California to pursue my dream to, you know, live in the U.S. and kind of work with the best people in the world. Um, I did my. Um, MBA degree in California, and then I was very lucky um, to have a job at Apple. So I spent four and a half years at Apple between 2009 and 2013, um, exclusively within um, the iTunes division. So when I started back in 2009, um, I was very lucky to actually work on um, the App Store launch, right? So I assume that many of you use iPhones and you're familiar with the App Store. Um, I was working on um, the in-app purchase flow, which I know a lot of developers love, but some of the developers hate because um, iTunes charges 30% for whatever you sell on the store. Um, one thing that I do want to mention, which was very interesting and kind of led to um, my current role at Spotify, was back in 2013, there was an all-hands meeting at iTunes uh, with Eddie Q, who runs um, the internet services at Apple. I remember raising my hand and asked the question, so Eddie, what do you think about those ad developers, you know, like Spotify or these other little apps that's trying to give people free access to all the music in the world? And back then, Eddie's answer was, um, I don't think we really care because his belief was that people want to own music, right? And that really stick to my head. Uh, we'll come back to this later. Um, after Apple, um, I moved to New York about three years ago. Um, I was running the data science and engineering team at the Times. And the Times was a very interesting company, and I'm sure many of you um, read the Times. Um, my first week at the Times, I was brought down to the newsroom because what I was supposed to do was to help the Times become more data-driven and really use data to sort of change the company and change the way people think about journalism. So I was all excited, went down to the newsroom, met with a senior editor, and I started talking about sort of my plan, right? We need to have real-time dashboards. We have to do all these things. We have to give journalists all the access they have, right, so that they can do better at their day-to-day -day job. And the senior editor looked at me in the eye and took me to a conference room, closed the door and said, Christine, you're not doing this. Everything we talk about that's related to data stays in this room. No journalist should have access to data because it is going to cloud their judgment. And I was very, very shocked because I thought I was brought there to do the exact opposite. Soon after that, um, the innovation report came out, and as you guys know, you know, Times is a very self sort of Times is very self-critical when it comes to the progress that they're making. So the report came out and everything really changed. So 
before I knew it, um, the data scientists and the data engineers on my team uh, were embedded in the newsroom, and they started to work with journalists to figure out, for example, what is going to go viral. On a daily basis, the Times produced about 300 articles, right? So what should we post on Facebook? You know, what can we do to make sure that we get um, the biggest reach um, for our audience? So that was a very interesting story. Um, and then earlier this year, um, I decided to leave the Times um, and join Spotify. So that's where I'm at. And going back to my story about you know, the conversation with Eddie Q, I thought it's amazing that Spotify went from a very small startup from Sweden um, to the number one streaming service in the world. And Spotify also actually forced Apple, like I use the word force, you know, this is my own editorial, but it basically forced Apple to buy Beats Music and get into the streaming business, right? If you think about iTunes, it started in 2003 and it's all about downloads, right? Remember downloading um, a song for 99 cents, right? That's how it started and it revolutionized the music industry. Spotify, on the other hand, I think sort of revolutionized the music industry again. Now everyone's talking about streaming. And for myself, I cannot imagine buying music anymore, right? You know, why buy music, you know, if you can just pay a monthly fee and have access to all the music in the world? All right, so a little bit about Spotify. Like I said, you know, this is supposed to be an interactive section. So I would like you guys to get, guess, um, 100 million plus, what is that? Subscribers? No, we have more than 100 million monthly active users. I wish we had 100 million subscribers, but we're not there yet. 40 million plus. Yes, we have more than 40 million subscribers worldwide. What is 30 million plus? No. We have, we have, there are not that many artists in the world, actually. We have more than 30 million tracks um, on Spotify. What is 5 billion plus? No. Yes. So far, we have paid out $5 billion to uh, rights holders around the world. And what's 2 billion plus? Uh, no, no, that's, that, that's a little too high. Um, so we have more than two billion playlists on our platform, right? So this could be Spotify curated playlists like Rev Caviar, or this could be any playlist that you created called my wedding party playlist or my morning running playlist. Could be anything. It's a combination of um, user-generated content plus Spotify curated content. And what is 60? Yes, yes, we're in 60 countries in the world now. Um, the latest country we just added is Japan, which is the second biggest music market in the world. Okay, so enough about Spotify. Again, I'm gonna go back and talk about a little, talk about myself and music. Um, so if you ask me, and you know, it's a thing at Spotify, you ask people like what's their first concert, you know, what artists they like, and you kind of have to come across as very sophisticated. So officially, when people ask me, so Christine, what do you listen to? You know, what artists do you like? This would be my answer. I would say that I really like, actually, do you guys know who this is? No? So this is Ketano Valoso. He's a Brazilian legend, um, famous songwriter, um, artist, 
poet. I'm also going to say that I'm really into Manu Chao. Manu Chao is a Spanish-French singer. And I'm also going to say I really like this guy. Who is this guy? Jack Johnson. OK, so that's the official answer. But what I'm not telling people when people ask me this question was that there are also something that's sort of I'm a little embarrassing to sh I'm a little embarrassed to share, but I still listen to them. This is the first one. Who is this? Okay, so this is Polina Rubio. Um, she is the pop. She's the queen of pop from Mexico. And I remember when I first discovered um, her tracks, I was so excited because back then I was learning Spanish. So um, one day I was in a car um, with some colleagues of mine. Um, this was back in Cupertino when I worked at Apple. And I was very excited to tell people that, oh, I just discovered this artist called Polina Rubio. She's really cool. And then one of my colleagues, who's Mexican-American, she looked at me and like, Christine, you're into her? She's like Britney Spears. And then there was like silence in the car, because I thought this was sort of a way for me to connect. But then only teenage girls will be into her. Like, why are you into her? And I was her manager. Right? So it kind of tells you like there are always things that we secretly love, but then it's sort of what you realize is that when you share that with more people, right, people could judge you for that. Um, who's that? Or which group is it? So that's Take That. Take That is a famous, was a famous boy band from the UK. And the guy in the middle, that's Robbie Williams. Again, my secret love, but you know, I, I'm telling you all, but the reality is that when people ask me, like, I am very embarrassed to tell people that I still listen to Take That. I mean, this was my high school favorite. Who's that? Mark Anthony, yes. Again, you know, my high school crush, but, you know, when people ask me, I'm just embarrassed to say that I really, really like Mark Anthony, but, you know, I'm not supposed to tell you. The thing is that I am not the only one. Who is this person? You're all laughing, so Justin Bieber, right? Who loves Justin Bieber? Raise your hand, it's okay. Okay, I know there are many of you who love Justin Bieber, but you are unwilling to admit, just like the hipsters in Brooklyn. So in 2015, we did this um, sort of big thing called Year in Music, and we were just looking at what people listen to. So it turns out that in Williamsburg, which is this hip and trendy neighborhood in Brooklyn. Like you would think that they listen to alternative, indie rock, you know, something very sophisticated. No, the highest streamed track in Williamsburg was Sorry from Justin Bieber. So why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you all this because that's sort of the secret, I wouldn't say the only, the secret sauce, but that's something that's really important uh, from Spot for Spotify that you know some of the other platforms don't have, right? Because listening to music is a very private experience. Of course, you can make it public, right? You can put it on Facebook, you can share your playlist with your friends, but I would bet you know, 60, 70% of the time, you're listening to music on your own, right? So you're on your headphone, you're running, um, you're commuting to work. And there's no judgment, right? You can listen to whatever you want. You don't have to worry about telling people that, oh, I love Mark Anthony, and worry that people would judge you for that. And that's why Spotify is such a powerful platform, because we're there with you 24-7. You know, music is complementary to whatever you're doing, 
Like we're not competing in terms of time with Facebook or Netflix or when you're on Tinder. You know, we're just there for you whenever you want. And that's really something that's very, very powerful. Um, given that we're in Chicago today, I thought we can talk a little bit about Chicago too. So the question I want to ask you is that um, if you think about sort of the acoustic attributes, right, like different types of music that people listen to in different cities, which of the following city do you think res resembles Chicago um, the most in terms of music preference? Is it New York? Is it Berlin? Is it Den Haag? Is it Austin or is it Melbourne? Okay, we're gonna quickly do a round. Who thinks it's New York? Okay, just one person. Berlin? Okay, a few. Den Haag? <laughs> okay, a few. Austin? Okay, a lot of people think it's Austin. Uh, what about Melbourne? Great, so we have a lot of Austins and Melbournes. The answer is Den Haag. <laughs> Are you from the Netherlands? Uh, okay. <laughs> All right, so it's, it's really strange, right? But you know, the data is showing that what people are listening to in Chicago is very similar to what people are listening to in Den Haag. Okay, let's do this. And here is the, actually the list of sort of ranking in terms of similarities, right? So at the top, you see Chicago. The number two um, city is Den Haag. And then you see Amsterdam there, DC, and then some other cities in the Netherlands that I cannot pronounce, Germany, um, Richmond, Virginia, for example. So, really fun exercise, right? Let's do this one more time. Which of the following cities resemble San Francisco the most in terms of musical preference? Is it Portland, is it Sydney, Anchorage, LA, or Istanbul? Okay, let's do this one more time. Who thinks it's, Port uh, it's Portland? Okay, a few. Sydney? Okay, Anchorage, only like four or five. Uh, LA, very few. Istanbul, okay, not that many people raised their hands. You know like the most unlikely answer on here is the right answer, right? What is it? Anchorage. Okay, so and here's the list, right? Really, really interesting. I have one more interesting thing to show you before we talk about how Spotify is organized. So um, yesterday when I came in, it was really raining, and we already know that people listen to music, people's musical preference change uh, based on season. However, do you think it also changes based on weather? Who thinks it changes based on weather? Okay, most of you do, and yes, that's the right answer. So uh, earlier this year, we actually did a study to look at you know, how people change what music they listen to uh, based on weather conditions. And we actually did it uh, based on Chicago, right? So if you look at this chart, you will see that uh, in Chicago, when it snows, people are more likely to listen to R&B. You know, when it's overcast, people somehow will listen more to indie rock and alternative. And when it's raining, people listen to blues and classical music. And how do we use this data? This is actually being used by our media team to figure out what they do um, with, with media buy, right? Because you can actually do media buy uh, based on weather conditions, okay? So enough about Chicago. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about sort of the evolution um, of analytics um, at Spotify. So um, back in 2011, that's actually when we launched uh, in the US. So back in the days, we have only 200 employees, roughly. 
uh, and we only have one million subscribers, right? So pretty great, um, pretty good progression from one million to plus 40 million today. Um, but back in the days, analytics was sort of done at an ad hoc basis, right? So you know, we, have, we had a few analysts and then requests would just come in in Jira tickets and people would just be randomly assigned to, you know, to those tickets and either pulling data or like building a dashboard um, for, for whoever's requesting. Uh, and then in 2014, we grew really quickly. You know, we had 1,200 employees and roughly 10 million subscribers. That was the time when the company realized that, okay, you know, this analytics thing is really critical, right? So we actually centralized the team under finance. So all the analysts were part of one department, but they all have different focus, right? So some, a small group of people might be focusing on content, another group might be focusing on product or marketing. And most recently, you know, Spotify is now 40 million subscribers and we have 2,200 employees. What we recently done within the company is that we realized the power of analytics and we also realized that it is very difficult for a centralized organization to serve the needs of the whole company. So what we did instead was that we went with a hybrid model. So we have a centralized team, you know, part of my team that's focusing on longer-term research, that's focusing on you know, how we monetize our data, but we also have analysts across different organizations. So this is the way it looks like. We have a centralized team, and in every function, in content, in marketing, in finance, in advertising, they all have their own analytics teams, right? And it's, it's been working out really well because people don't have to fight for analytics resource anymore, right? If they need something done, if they, they need to make different decisions based on data, they have analysts that they can work with directly in their apartment instead of sending a Jira ticket and they have to wait for two weeks before someone actually answers. Um, another benefit of having this structure is that centrally um, with the data mission, well, in, at Spotify we call like big teams their mission. So, Within the data mission, uh, we also do a lot of things uh, for the functional analytics teams. We help them with recruiting, so we have a centralized pipeline. All the applicants con come through this funnel, and we have a standardized screening interviewing process. And then only at the very end, we work with the candidates to figure out you know, whether they want to be a marketing analyst or content analyst, or if they want to be on the research team within the data mission. Um, we also do onboarding so that they are familiar with um, all the tools, all the systems that we have. We do internal conferences to bring everyone together and share best practices. Um, and we also do a lot of skill development, right? You know, every other week we have trainings for data producers, for data engineers, uh, and for data consumers on various topics. So, um, Again, you know, I mentioned this concept of analysis everywhere, and that's been working out really, really well for us. And within the data mission, we, we do a few things, right? So remember that big circle in the middle? So these are sort of the four areas that we're focusing on. The first one is data as a service, right? And um, I know a lot of people are thinking, you know, we need to have, we need to use data to like drive the business. It's, it makes sense, but I think we also need to kind of recognize that to some degree, data needs to be a service, right? Like many of us are maintaining different platforms and different systems, and it is a service, and we need to make sure that we provide the best service to the consumers and the analysts at the company. 
So at the service level, um, we make sure that the most critical data we have at the company. So earlier, you know, the, the, the stats I show you, number of monthly active users, how many subscribers we have, how many registered users we have. These are also the deemed business critical data. And there's a whole team just focusing on that. Um, we also look into things like master data management, um, segmentation, A-B testing, instrument um, experimentation, and so on. Um, earlier, I also talked about this big community. So community management is also one very important thing that we do. Like I said, you know, we bring all the analysts together from the company on a regular basis so that we can share best practices. On the upper right corner, um, in terms of growth, um, what we've been talking about is predict, uh, sorry, proactive analytics, right? So this means that we take the insights that we have from the data, from the research, and figure out how we can use it towards our advantage. As you guys know, we're facing very, very strong competition. We have Apple Music on the one, on the one side, and they're focusing on exclusives, right? So they work with famous artists and you know, get content on Apple, and then we get windowed. Window meaning that we don't get the content until like three weeks after um, some content is on um, Apple, for example. On the other hand, we also have Amazon Music, right? Amazon just launched very recently. Um, they have, they already have a lot of users on Amazon Prime, right? So for Prime users, it makes a lot of sense. Plus, with Alexa or with Echo, um, they're really sort of building a different um, ecosystem. So very, very keen competition, um, and that's why we really need to do better in terms of using information asymmetry towards our advantage, right? So earlier, what I talked about. Um, like all these secret songs that you love that, you, that you're not willing to tell people, like we're able to capitalize on that because we know what you love, right? And then we're able to give you really great recommendations even though you don't intend to really share that information with us. And then finally, data-driven decision-making. Um, pretty obvious, so I think everyone knows. Um, the last thing I would say is that, again, data is very, very critical, I think especially in the digital age, and our philosophy is that everyone should have access to data, right? Don't guard the data, be an ambassador. If people wanna use data to make decisions, let them, enable them, so that everyone can be an analyst. Um, before I say thank you, I also wanna say that we're hiring, so I know post-election, a lot of people are thinking about moving to Canada. Uh, you don't have to tell me if you're thinking about moving to Canada, but what I want to say is that um, given that Spotify is a Swedish company, our headquarters is in Stockholm. So if you're interested in moving to Sweden, come talk to me. But of course, if you're interested in joining us in New York, London, or offices around the world, please come talk to us. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, Christine, and thank you for doing some recruiting here. Always <laughs> a good audience. So uh, we got about five, six minutes, so plenty of time for some questions. Why don't we go ahead and open it up? Uh, instead of running around, I'm going to hand you this this time, and then I can also repeat the question. Huh. I'd like to ask a party popper question. Um, <clears throat> as cool as deals, correlations that you showed, about weather, similarities between cities, etc. Aren't uh, we imposing here um, domain knowledge that we assume, I mean, it makes sense that weather would uh, influence our mood, et cetera, 
is it any better at the at the end of the day than uh, the regular uh, recommendation engines that others use? I don't know. Ba ba basic recommendation engines like when on Amazon tell you people who bought this buy also that. Uh, yeah. So I would say I mean internally we we use a lot of different algorithms, right? So um, Discover Weekly, for example, I think many of you are probably familiar with that. If you use um, if you use Spotify, I mean, we do use collaborative filtering, like what Amazon is doing, right, to say, you know, people who listen to this also like that. But we're also adding a lot of other behavioral metrics that we created uh, sort of internally, right? So for example, we're looking at, you know, how, we're looking at something called Tilt. Tilt is a metric to, to measure like how lean in or lean back you are. So when you're very lean in, right, that like you're on your screen, you're like actively searching, you're switching, you know, from songs to songs, versus when you're very lean back, for example, right, you probably just turn on the radio function because you're doing something else, right, so you just want background music. We're actually adding a lot of sort of attributes like this um, in our algorithm. So I would say overall, I mean, I don't know which one is better really, but the approach that we take was that, you know, just, we just do testing, right? If we don't know, we test. And if we see an increase in retention, then great, you know, we keep doing that. Is there any, uh, any, any strange behavioral connection between anything that jumps out? We talk about weather and the blues, right? That makes sense, but anything you found to be incongruous? Yes. Yeah, so that's a good question, and to be honest, I don't have an answer. Um, the reason why I want to show those charts to you is that there are just so many interesting stories that we, we still need to sort of discover within the data that we have. And, and that's why within our data, sort of the overall, you know, you saw that analysis at Spotify organization, right now we have about, about 180 people within the company. And I, if you think about the fact that we only have 2,200 employees, that's a pretty high percentage, right? And that's precisely the reason why, because there's so much data for us to mine. We need to have a very strong analytics or data organization um, to really unlock the power of the data we have. Yeah, excellent. Uh, we have time for two questions, so we'll start here, and then I will wander over there. Two gentlemen have a couple. So, <clears throat> just quickly, has there been any major business pivot that you guys have done at Spotify as a result of behavioral data or usage data that was anomalous or unexpected? Uh, I would say there probably hasn't been, but what I can tell you guys is that, you know, we have big plans for 2017. So very soon you guys are going to see some changes. I like that. Tease it out a little bit. You guys make sure you're on Spotify come 2017. Yeah. I know that with uh, Netflix, they have a lot of issues with um, the, the, media, the television and film industry in terms of not giving data related to things that they have and how that could benefit the content uh, creation side on that side. So can you maybe just, just talk briefly about some of the things you guys are doing to empower like the music uh, creation side with the data that you guys are collecting? Yeah, yeah I think that's a really great question. So. Um, a few weeks ago, I was at this meeting where our CEO, Daniel Ake, spoke. And he started talking about um, the mission for our company. And what he really believes in is that, you know, Spotify's ought to um, 
empower the artists, right? We want to make Spotify a platform where artists can just be artists, right? Because I know many of the artists, you know, they're very talented, however, they don't make enough to just be an artist, you know, for a living. And that's sort of what we want to be. And back to your question about um, data, we currently do have something called the Fan Insights so that the artists and the managers can go onto um, the portal and see you know, how many fans they have, what kind of tracks people are streaming. And there's still a lot more sort of that we learn about the artists, about you know, how we can help them become more successful, more famous, you know, grow their fan base that we're, we, we haven't yet shared with the artists. I think one challenge that we do have is that because of the contractual agreements we have with the labels, sometimes we're not allowed to share certain data, right? You guys probably all remember Taylor Swift, you know, was it a few years ago, right? She was sort of very against Spotify, and she feels like, you know, Spotify is not really doing a good job supporting the artists. Part of the challenge we have is that you know, we actually, you know, remember that five billion number? We actually pay out a lot um, to the artists. But because there's, you know, the labels, right? Like, we're, we're not allowed to tell an artist directly how much revenue they're getting from Spotify. So there's sort of, the, what the artists are getting is just a lump sum, right? So they have no idea how much Spotify is actually contributing to their fan base or their revenue. And that's something that, you know, we want to try to solve uh, in the coming months. All right, excellent. I know there's more questions. Thank you, Christine, but we have to move on. Give her a big round of applause. Thank you.